This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Mike Lapchik. He's the founder uh, of the Chicago Catalog Group, which happened back in 1996 and was acquired by Lake Capital or the Hagen Marketing uh, Show, which is now Epsilon, I believe, in 2006. He went through the daily expense of manually facilitating the exchange of product information between their retail and brand clients. And this is where he saw an opportunity to build an exchange platform that automated this process. He launched his current company, Shot Farm, back in 2010, which enables retail channel, uh, different Rapid retail channel and product assortment expansion for more than 12,000 brands and retailers today. Mike, are you ready to take us to the top? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you hope, right? I've been ready for seven years, yeah. You hope, good. All right, so yeah. tell us about the company. What do you do and what's your revenue model? How do you make money? So it's a straight-up SaaS-based uh, model. Um, so it's, you know, MRR. It's all about MRR. Yeah. And what do you do? Um. What does the company do? Yeah, so so that we understand the revenue model. How do you tell me what you do for clients? I don't know if you can mention the one we talked pre-show down here in Dallas, but tell us what you do. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, I, I, I'll I, let's see. Uh, yeah, this, this is what I was I was alluding to. I'll, I'll give you a, a just a a cold start, right? As if uh, as if I'm telling my my mom. Um, so so essentially. The, the product information that you find on uh, on an e-commerce site, uh, Amazon or any e-commerce site, all that information about a product comes from the manufacturer. Okay, that's that's how it gets there uh, or, or where it comes from, I should say. How it gets there is a whole different story. And um, there is no protocol for, for the transfer of that information or the information itself. So every retailer has a different requirement, both uh, from a data standpoint and also from a transfer um, standpoint. So, so what we do is we sit in the middle and we centralize that whole, that, that whole process. So, so that the manufacturers can upload their product information in, in their own way. And then we distribute it out to retailers in the format, uh, that they specify. And help me understand more kind of size of companies you're working with. What would you say the average company is paying you per month in terms of ARPU? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not doing, I'm not doing, I'm not, I, I can't, I can't tell you what our, what our revenues are. Oh, I Mike, I'm not asking your revenue. Oh. I said, what is the average contract size on average? I have no idea how many customers you have. Are we talking a dollar a month, a million a month, 10 grand a month on average? Um, yeah, so yeah, so our, our average MRR is 1200 a month. Okay, hold on. Average MRR, I'm, I'm talking just one specific client. So you're saying a specific client on average might pay about 12 grand per month. No, 1,200 per month. 1,200 per month. Right. Got it. MRR would be that multiplied by all your customers. That's how it would actually get your revenue number. That's not what I was interested in. I'm just curious, on yeah, average, I, a customer right, is paying I, you 1,200 per month. Yeah, but I gave you one data point. Now, if you get the other one, 
<laughs> then you know my revenue. So. Correct. I could back into that. But what I'd like to do now is understand more of the backstory. So tell me when you launched the company, what year, and uh, where was your head at that time? So, um, yeah, it was pretty much what you read in the bio. It was 2010, and, and uh, this is a problem that we saw uh, that we had only found a manual solution for the last company. Um, and I just couldn't believe that there wasn't some sort of a, a centralized exchange for this um, in existence. And I, I couldn't understand how, how companies were actually getting stuff to market. So, um, so you know, that's where the idea came yeah, Mike, from. Yeah, Mike, specifically, though, so entrepreneurs that listen to this show or exited SaaS CEOs, they're always wondering, you know, I'm very comfortable now. Maybe they're, they just sold their company for $100 million. They're sitting in an earnout at a, at a company and they're wondering, should they leave and start their own thing? Where were you emotionally at the time when you decided to finally quit that job? Had you saved up enough savings where even if the new thing failed, you were fine for a year or was your back against the wall? You had to make it succeed on day one. Emotionally, where were you? Oh, um, I was out to solve a problem. So the, the way, the, uh, no, so I had sold my last company, so I had money. That, that, that wasn't the issue. I wanted to solve a problem. And, and you know, the, the finances of it would be uh, a byproduct of that, right? So, um, well, more specifically, if, if you really want to get into it, where my head was uh, is that- Mike, I, I, why would I not want to get into it? That's what I want well, to get I into. I don't, I don't, I don't, <laughs> have, I, you listened I, to, have you listened to the show before? I, I, yes, I, I, I tried to listen to it the other night and, and get a sense of, of where okay. you are. So, so, so yes, I want I, it. I, okay, good. All right. So the real deal is that I had a number of checks written out to various charities and, uh, and, uh, personal interests. Um, but they were, they're all, they're all checks out to, uh, they were giving, it was philanthropic. Um, at, at, uh, and and I started this company so that I could sign those checks. And I, I made enough money for me to retire, uh, but I didn't make enough off the sale of the last company to retire and actually make a difference uh, in, in the world. And so that's why I went back to the blackjack table and gave it another try. Got it. So let me make sure I understood that correctly. You wrote, your, you, wrote, you wrote checks, which were so much that you couldn't actually send to these charities and you said, okay, I'm going to use this motivation to launch this new company, which yep. also solves a problem. And the goal is if it build it successful enough where I can write those checks. Right. Have you yep. wrote them? Um, you're seven years in. You're, you're, you're about, you're, uh, this will be a very different conversation in about 30 days from now. So tell, tell me you why might you interview me then tell me yeah. why, who are you selling to? Oh, I can't tell you who I'm selling to that, that. That, yeah. So why are you selling? Um, because the time's right. Tell me why. How does an entrepreneur understand when the time's right? Well, what you look for is is uh, you look at your growth trajectory, right? To, to you look for that hockey stick or anything that approximately is a hockey stick, and as soon as you can start predicting when the plateau is going to occur, you want to sell on on the upside, right? You want to sell before the plateau, um, and that's where we are today. Why? Uh, do what, what indicators the, are you looking at where you're going? I see a plateau coming in this space. Now it's a smart time to do it. That's where I was going. So, so there's, um, there's a lot more competition. So we, we really, uh, we were the first in this field and now we have a ton of competition. Uh, so much of it is well-funded, you know, and we, we've got first move, first mover disadvantage, classic first mover disadvantage. So, uh, so, what is that? You mean you spent all the money to figure out the problems and then others just ripped it off for free? 
Exactly. So yeah, yeah, we, we <laughs> paved the path and then the other ones um, are, are yeah, they're ripping it off and they're coming in with m- much more funding than we had going out because obviously when you have a, a new idea, something that's, that's disruptive, it's, it's hard to get funding because it's bigger risk. There's no proof points, right? So other companies are using us as a proof point. How much had you raised? 10. You raised 10 total. And was that what through maybe what series A? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's A and, and we did a small B. Yeah. On top of that. So, um, and then, so we raised 10, we've got competitors in now at 57 million in funding. Who is um, that? I just, uh, company called Salsify. Um, and, and there are a number of others that are, you know, somewhere between, I just can't, I, I can't. Does your competitive uh, nature though ever see that and go, Oh man, it was going to be fun to beat them in the beginning, but now it's fun to beat them even more. Cause I've got 57 million in funding that, that kind of thing that your mind doesn't work like that. Well, like if I had 57 million of funding, what do you mean? No, no, no. The idea, the idea of beating a bigger giant with more money. Yes. The, the David Goliath thing always gets me out of bed, but in, in this case, um, it's, we, we've gotten to the point where it's hard to fund our company. It's hard to find additional funding, even though I could bring up all these proof points, you know, um, it's, it's just, it's hard. The story's too long. Um, it just took, it took too long. You know, it's, we were a little bit early and, and we were, we were the first ones out there. So, so it's, it's hard to bring that, that, uh, that new funding in unless we reinvented ourselves entirely. And honestly, I'm a little bit tired for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we did a a great thing. Um, we changed the nature of the industry. Certainly, uh, there are a lot of options now, um, which, actually fractures exactly what we're trying to solve, right? Because we're, we're trying to create one centralized exchange. Now there are a whole bunch of centralized exchanges, which kind of screws up everything. But um, but at least the customers have some choices now where before they had none. Uh, so I feel good about that. Um, but 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 all of that said, the company that, um, that if all of this goes through, uh, that um, we'll be working with uh, is is very well funded. Um, and, and we will breathe a whole lot of new life into this. Um, and we have a, we have a pretty crazy plan on, on how to, uh, how to do what you just said is beat the guys with the 57 million in funding. Well, that's good. Well, look, we are recording this here on January 10th, 2018. It won't actually go live until June 3rd, 2018. So we'll see, we'll see when it goes live. If no one will hear, even hear it until it goes live. So hopefully you'll be, everything will be done at that point and you'll be on your way. Had I known that, I, I would have spoken in the future tense. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Okay. So, so let me just go back real quick to the, you said it's difficult to raise capital. I think if I'm reading between the lines, what I'm hearing you saying is when you're raising capital, these guys like to see triple, triple, triple the first three years and maybe double, double, double for the few years after that. What you're saying is it took you time to figure this thing out. When you showed them the historical revenue, they're going, eh, it took you too long to grow this big. We don't see a billion dollar opportunity. We won't fund you. And what you're saying was, well, shit, I'm going to go create a double then and sell for a good amount of money. It's not a billion dollar exit, but it's still a good amount of money. That's right. Yeah. That, that, that's pretty much it. Yeah. So j- just to add to that, some nuances, we, um, uh, the, the, the first five years of the four years of the company really were in, in creating this network. So, so my approach was to create a, a sticky network. Um, so on the wall of the company, it says never a barrier to join, never a reason to leave. And, and so we, we, we we wanted to build this network, this dependency between the retailers, and the manufacturers on the network, and then figure out how to monetize it later. Not when I say figure it out, I mean prove out ways to monetize. So we we knew what we wanted to do, but you know, once once you have that network, you can throw all kinds of uh, revenue options at it, right? 
uh, some will work and some won't. But but you've you've uh, unless you're an idiot, you've got a um, you've got a, a guaranteed cash machine there. So so spending the first four years and doing that, yes, yeah, smart. Um, I, I still I, I would do it again today. The only difference that I would make is that I wouldn't do it in Chicago. I wouldn't fund it in Chicago. It's the most conservative bed of investors in the country. These guys are bankers. You know, you go in with they're looking idea. at EBITDA, not top line growth. Exactly. First, first question they're going to ask you is. What are your revenues? They said, well, well, none. We, you know, we're just starting the company now. Yeah, not interested. You know, come back when you've got revenue. Nobody's willing to take. And this is it. for you, who's had successful exits, right? You have That's some right. legs to stand on. Yeah. So now, now, hopefully, with two successful exits, you know, my next one, I'll be able to get some funding for in Chicago with Adam at least. But, um, but that has been the biggest problem. And 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 as a, as an adjunct to that, you've got the um, the developers go where the investment money is, right? Which is not yeah. Chicago. Right. So very tough to find. What's your team today? Team size and how many developers? We got 17 people, uh, four developers. Four. Okay. All in Chicago? Uh, Most in Chicago. We have we have one guy who just moved back to Spain because, yeah, because it's warmer there. It's warmer there. And and Trump (laughs) is the president of Spain. There you go. Chicago and one probably one smart remote uh, worker back in back in Spain. Okay, yeah. good. And give me give me a sense here. Um, when you're signing, you mentioned marketplace, which sent warning flags off in my brain because marketplaces are notoriously hard to monetize. You have chicken and egg. Do you have that problem? And if not, how, how do you monetize? Do you charge on a kind of per record basis to the actual retailer? Who do you bill? So the brands, it, both sides have the ability to pay for a function, right? Because what what we realized um, early on was that y- you can't say that there's an influencer, uh, the same influencer in every relationship. It's never always the retailer, it's never always the manufacturer. So in in all of the platform services, we give either side the ability to pay, right? To to, to equalize the dynamic in, in that particular relationship. But primarily it's the brands who foot the bill for for this service, it's not per record, they pay. We, we index everything off of storage uh, instead of the number of products that go across. What kind uh, of storage? Just gigabyte type. Oh, storage. just gigabyte store, like digital yeah. store. Okay, got it. So, so if I'm making this up, if um, Urban, I have no idea if Urban Outfitters is a client, but if Urban Outfitters wants to, you know, have you know a thousand gigabytes of data, you have a plan for that, and the way that that gets it's, filled is you're pulling those specs from manufacturers and slowly filling that virtual inventory. Yeah, so so it would be uh, it would be the brands that would be uploading all of the images that the retailers don't store stuff on oh, our the images. Our, yeah, yeah. So it's mostly images and videos that, that eat up the storage, right? And I those see. are the most costly things for me to process and to transfer, right? So that's what we index off of. So so the retailers just the recipient of it. They don't pay for any storage. So the brand, let's say, uh, oh, let's say Adidas. Okay. They, they upload their whole catalog of assets, right? And it might be 40, 50 gigabytes or so. And then, and then they turn on other features. Well, those, the feature pricing is based on how much storage they're using, right? So it all goes up uh, as the storage goes up. And Adidas um, no, needs that stuff because when Adidas shows up on Macy's.com, they want the right product images to show on the right data. That's right. Okay, it makes perfect yeah, yeah. sense now. All right, yeah. SaaS companies, churn, always a huge, big indicator. What's your churn yeah. today and how have you managed that? Uh, well, it depends on how you measure churn. There's several uh, models for that. But we do, um, uh, right now we are at uh, negative half a point. 
negative That's, net revenue churn annually or monthly? Uh, monthly. Mon- okay, yeah. that's pretty healthy. So, yeah, so ne- yeah. negative six percent, yeah. net negative six percent revenue churn, meaning your expansion revenue outpaces your, any churn revenue by six percent every year. Yeah. yeah, that's great. That's super healthy. And now, yeah. why do you choose to measure based off that versus logo churn? Um, well, we have we have a bunch of different ways that we index it. So th- that's just the one that I brought up because it's it's easier for me to discuss. It's okay. it's the one that we watch. Well, do you more. feel it's a better it's a better indicator? There's a reason yeah, you yeah. do that. It's, it's, it's smaller resolution, right? It's yeah. tighter. I can see what's going on on a on an almost daily basis. So yeah. And then how are you? How are you? Well, I don't want to get into obviously your exact customer numbers for the reasons you mentioned earlier, but is this generally a high volume, low touch kind of model or a high touch inside sales team, low volume of customer? Maybe appropriate way to ask this. Do you have more or less than a hundred customers? Um, more. Okay. You have yeah. more, but, but not like 10,000, right? Well, they, so we have, we have 12,000, we have 12,000 companies using the platform. Not all of them are paying, but more than a okay. hundred paying. So okay, got it. All right. Got it. And when you say companies, you're talking Adidas. Yep. Okay. Got it. That's helpful to understand. So, okay. So you do have a pretty significant then number. I mean, number, I mean, sometimes I talk to enterprise folk or companies that are doing very well from an enterprise perspective. And it's like, you know, you know, a hundred grand ACV and they only need 10 customers for an interesting business already. It, you're, it sounds like you're maybe mid market or kind of in the middle at a 12 grand ish yep. ACV, which you probably expand over time. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, okay. What, I mean, how are, that's a significant amount of both free users and obviously converting more than a hundred to paid. How are you getting those free users and how are you converting them to paid? So we're, we're a network play. Um, so if you've got Adidas that uploaded a bunch of content, there are two ways that they distribute that content out. One is, one is a push model where they push through what we call switches, which are essentially APIs in the system that parse the data out and go all the way to the retailer. Um, and the retailer is involved in that process where they put their specification in shot form and all the conversions are done. Okay. And this is what we're replicating here is what happens naturally outside of the platform anyway. Um, and then the other model for the, for the retailers that are not quite as important to Adidas is they open up a, um, a, uh, self-service model where the retailers can log in, uh, upload a, a list of SKUs and then download all the information that, that they need for them. So, so Adidas would invite all of those retailers onto those, pla- onto the platform. When those retailers come onto the platform, we we know through our in-platform marketing which other brands they they might sell, and we say, hey, and it's just like just like LinkedIn. Here are other brands that you may know. Would you like to connect with them now? Build a dependency for that retailer on on ShopFarm, a one user interface. You know, several brands uh, that that they collect content from becomes easier for them. Uh, you know, with the hope of pushing that retailer to a mandate to use Shot Farm, and it just kind of grows from there. So, um, you will not see a lot of Shot Farm marketing out on the internet. Guys, I get asked all the time, Nathan, you host all these interviews, hundreds of them per month. How do you do them efficiently? And guys, the answer is simple. People always agree to my calendar, back-to-back meetings. I batch my interviews to stay very efficient. And the way that I do it is I use a tool called Acuity Scheduling at NathanLatka.com forward slash schedule. And the reason I use them is very simple. They keep my no-show rate very low because they send out reminders about when the interview or the meeting is coming up. And also they make it very easy to 
schedule time, right? I don't have to go back and forth via email 10,000 times with people I'm trying to meet with. Okay, at nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. Helps me so much. And by the way, look, I like have so many meetings. I'm the best at meetings, okay? I do them back to back, very, very efficient. You guys know me. Many people say I'm the most efficient they've ever seen. Okay, so I use the tool. It's so efficient. And by the way, I got Gavin. I said, Gavin, he's the CEO. I said, I want a great deal for my people. He said, Nathan, well, most people get a 14-day trial. Isn't that great? I said, no. He's given us a 45-day free trial at nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. That's not going to stay up forever, so go get it now. nathanlatka.com forward slash schedule. You don't really do paid acquisition. When I, if I asked you what's your CAC, you'd say we don't care about that. We have network effects. Well, yeah, exactly. But but I do look at I do I do look at the free platform as a marketing expense versus a, a technology expense. So, what would you say uh, your fully weighted CAC is? Yeah, it's about oh boy. It's a, uh, you can look at it a couple different ways. If I so so my carrying cost for a free for a free customer is about. 30 bucks a year, 20 bucks a year and around there. Um, maybe even a little bit less, depending on how much storage, free storage they're using or how much of the free storage they're using. Uh, so, so it, it can go down from there. So now if I look at the, the, um, that, that cost and, and compound that against the paying number of customers, um, I could give you that figure, but then you could, you could reverse engineer to figure out how many paying customers we have and figure out the revenue. But, but um, but just suffice it to say that that it's uh, that we look at the carrying cost of those in the cost to convert versus versus an aggregate cost of those against the paying customers. Let me ask it differently uh, yeah. that I think will help you protect what you're trying to protect. Um, how quickly do you like to get your money back in terms of payback period? Well, as uh, is, is quickly as possible. I mean, 60 days is, is our oh, goal. Wow. You, are yeah, you under 60? That's incredible for a SaaS company. Yeah, but, we, but, we don't, but we don't get it. I mean, I, so... I mean, most SaaS companies are like 12 months if they're lucky. Right, right. So, um, yeah, it, that, that, was, that was the plan. So what, what I'll tell you where we failed is in the in-app marketing. And this is the, the biggest botched opportunity that, we've, that we had uh, was, was converting the, the free to paying users. Right. But so, can I can I put a staple though on that? I mean, where are you? Your aim for two months, but where are you today? Are you like four months, eight months, fifteen months? Well, so, so well, let, let me let me go on. I'll, I'll tell you why why that question is not as answerable as you'd think. So so when we raised our last round, um, we brought on a sales team, and again, before this, we we were any of the revenue we had was accidental. So so the sales team uh, started in 2016, um, and and they, we had so much inbound interest that that's what they sold. We did, they never even looked at the, at the 9,000 companies at the time, um, as an upsell, uh, opportunity. So that's, that's, we, we haven't converted many free to paying, uh, not even close to what we had projected And that opportunity still sits there today. And, and it will be, I think, harvested by, uh, by this next group. Yeah. But okay, so what is payback period today? Are you? I mean, are you able I, to? I, I don't say there is none. There, there is there is none, or you it, don't know. It's not. It, it's it not an important not, metric for you. It's not an important metric because it's so low, right? So, so the um, so it's definitely but, under six but, months. Can we say that? Well, you're talking about a conversion, right, from free to fee. 
No, I'm talking about payback period, right? So you 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 would say conversion is important because you said the way you measure your CAC is by carrying costs of free. And you're right. doing some math in your head, I think, about how many free you need for one paid. And then that's how you're getting your, I think, fully weighted CAC. It's this one way to do it, yes. Is that you know, how you're doing it, though? I mean, your business uh, is unique. Well, it, uh, I'm, I'm not doing it a particular way. I'm, I'm saying that there are several ways to do it. And that's one, one way that we look at it. If we look at it at a marketing cost, and you look at the return on that marketing cost, right? That's one very different thing than, than my carrying cost um, uh, as compared to conversion. Last, so, go ahead. Right? I was gonna say last yeah. few questions here before we wrap up. Um, when was last round? What date? Uh, November, 2015. 2015, okay. So I imagine you're probably, you're profitable at this point or, or break even at least? Yeah. Yeah, good. And company size, more or less than 5 million in revenue? Not going to tell you. I can't do it. Is, um, I mean, we can put a minimum, right? You said you have more than a hundred customers, 1200 bucks a month. You're doing North of 120 grand, potentially maybe only 120 grand, maybe well North of that. We don't know. It's totally fair that you don't want to put more, more parameters around that, but that's 1.4 million bucks annually at a minimum. Um, look, if you're at that revenue and you raise 10 million and there's a one X preference on that, I mean, are you going to be able to get above that? So common holders get something from an exit if it happens? Oh yeah. You will be able to, okay, good. Well, that's good. That's healthy. We'll leave it at that. Let's wrap up here with the famous five mic number one. What's your favorite business book? Hmm. Seven habits. That's a good one. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying right now? No, I not a CEO, but, but I do follow David Skoke, um, quite closely. So, uh, Northbridge. So these guys are, um, <laughs> ironically investors in, in my biggest competitor, but the guy's freaking brilliant. So I do follow him. Yeah. Number three is their favorite online tool you have. Mm. Just for running the business. Besides shop farm. Besides um, your own. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Okay. Number of uh, uh, Google. Google suite. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they have a great suite. I, I don't mean Google the search engine, but, but their suite of products we use, almost all of them in the company. So number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Mm, eight. And what's your situation? Married, single, you have kiddos? Married with two. Two kids. How old are they young? Uh, no, not young. Uh, 14 and 16. Well, that's, that's healthy. And how old are you, Mike? Uh, 53. Last question. Take us back 20 or take us back 33 years. What do you wish your 20 year old self knew? Hmm. Man, you should have given me these in advance. Uh, I like on the spot reactions. That's the best. Yeah, way yeah, I, yeah. True. Um, my, I wish my twenty-year-old self knew to have kids sooner. Have kids sooner. Interesting. Why, they, why do you say that? They, because they're. I, I'm going to be like of that old dad that drops them off. Like, hey, is that your grandpa? Yeah, no. Nah. <laughs> you know, and, and just more energy to play with them, more time to enjoy them. Uh, I'll be younger. I would have been younger when when they're off and gone. Yeah, it is, it's the only thing I would have done differently um, in life. 
uh, in business, I wouldn't change anything. There you guys have it from Mike. He had a successful exit under his belt, got out and launched Shot Farm back in 2010, really first to market, did all the grunt work, carved the path, and then others conveniently biked down it behind him with bags of money on their back to the tune of 57 million bucks. But he has figured out a solution. Last round was back in 2015. So about three years, he's built the thing where it's profitable or at least break even to profitable. Team of 17. He's focused now on driving a nice outcome for everybody. They raised $10 million, have well north of 100 customers paying on average 1200 bucks a month. So well north of 1.4 million bucks in revenue. Exit price will be more than hopefully 10 million bucks if all goes well. Uh, you can research it when this article is going live because it should be post acquisition. So we'll see what happens, Mike. I hope to have you back on and thank you for taking us to the top. Thank you. Appreciate it. Bye-bye.